you know, there's a, an old ICU maxim that says more is missed by not looking than not knowing, okay? And um, appreciate that, you know, when you are out rural and remote, even if there aren't many clinicians present, um, you can get a friend on the end of a telephone or on the end of a VC unit who can provide support. and welcome to a Nurse Out Wear podcast. My name is Danielle Corza and I have been a rural and remote nurse for most of my career. I created this podcast as an opportunity to explore and celebrate and perhaps spark some interest in rural and remote nursing. Each week we will meet with some of the extraordinary nurses who live and work in rural and remote areas across Australia as they tell their story about all that is beautiful and unique to rural and remote nursing. So join with me as we explore the stories from a nurse out where. Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of a nurse out where. I've got a really cool uh, person with me today. I'm really excited. Um, this guy changed his careers into nursing after volunteering at St John's Ambulance, which helped him realise how much he enjoyed patient care. He then graduated in 2002 as a registered nurse and after some time in medical nursing, moved into high dependency and later into intensive care nursing. So after 13 years in critical care, he took a secondment in patient safety for a change of pace. From there, he moved out to central western Queensland and he worked as the nurse educator and relieved as the director of nursing over the five years that he was out west. He then took on a role delivering education via telehealth to support the rural and remote nurses before moving into his current role where he supports the graduate nurses and students on the Darling Downs. Welcome, Chris Patolo. G'day, Dan. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Long time, no chat. It has been a long time, no chat. I'm so pleased that we've got you to come on board with this. Um, oh, oh God, I can only imagine the stories you're going to tell. But anyway, let's start <laughs> out. <laughs> let's start out. As you know, the podcast was titled A Nurse Out Where. So from your perspective, can you finish the sentence of A Nurse Out Where? Yeah, well, at the moment, uh, I'm a nurse out where the schools are plentiful and it's not so remote um, just at the moment. Um, I used to actually be a nurse out where it was dry and dusty, um, but just in more recent times, I've moved uh, back to a regional centre here on the Darling Downs so that um, I've got more schooling options for my children. So, um, yeah, my heart's still out there, though. I, I could be there tomorrow, um, but, you know, for some practical reasons, uh, I'm not there, but um, that's me. Yeah, yeah, and I think once you go remote, you're really, it, you know, it gets in your blood and you're really... Um... You do, you do fall in love with the rural and remote areas and, you know, the Darling Downs has, has its own unique, um, you know, regional rural areas as well. So you're not, you're not too far away. You know, there's still cows in paddocks not far from you, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, well, uh, literally just around the corner from my home. So that's <laughs> uh, pretty straightforward. And look, in my current role, actually, uh, it's a district-wide role. So I do actually provide support to the rural um, hospitals and, and um, facilities that we've got here. And so uh, I really has stood me in good stead in terms of understanding what a lot of their challenges are. So um, 
like a lot of our experience, it all adds. But yeah, I, I do definitely cherish my time out west. Yeah. So, so what sparked your interest? Why did you want to go out to rural and remote areas? Oh, well, there's a bit of a story here, which I suppose is the point of the podcast, isn't it? There's so always actually, a story I, to tell with you, Chris. I'm there's sure. always a story. <laughs> that's right. Um, look, in my final year um, at QUT, they. Uh, they did offer for students who were interested to volunteer if you wanted to go on a replacement. I thought, well, that seems pretty cool. I put my hand up. And uh, I ended up going to Charleville. So I spent four weeks um, in Charleville and I had a ball. Um, <clears throat> so there was, you know, maybe there was 15 minutes of sadness the whole time I was there from a personal perspective. It was great. It was challenging. The scope was completely different from what I'd experienced. Um, at that stage, I'd been going to Metro hospitals for all my placements. It was a completely different context. Um, I got to work all around the hospital. I did general work. Um, I did some theatre time. Um, I assisted in my first surgical procedure um, in a theatre, um, did ED time, um, helped the radiographer. It was a great environment. So um, at that stage as an undergrad, I'd had a taste um, and it was very fulfilling and I liked it. And then, uh, so it was many years later and um, fast forwarding to the point where I was a father, um, married with kids and uh, working shift work and I transitioned to patient safety for a while. Um, so it was day work, but also it was something different. Um, if you stay in critical care for long enough, not much really gets your heart rate up anymore. So I was looking for something different. And um, my wife said to me, look, I'd love to raise the kids in the country. Um, and you're the one who's currently at work with the career and I'm home with the kids, so you choose where. I know that's a good deal. But serendipitously, the nursing director from Central West Health just happened to be presenting um, at a workshop um, that was running at the hospital um, from ACHS. ACHS were running this workshop. So there was a big metro private, big metro public, and then a rural service. And um, everyone else, of course, was speaking about their fantastic achievements. And uh, this nursing director stood up and went, well, our perspective is different. We've got all these challenges. Um, and she was very forthright about um, the kinds of challenges they had. And it really piqued my interest. I thought, gee, wow, I'm not going to be bored there. I could, you know, get my teeth into one of those. Well, um, and you've worked there, Dan, so you know yep. uh, <laughs> what transpired, of course, is we got out there and um, started chewing and didn't stop chewing the whole five years um, I was there. Heaps of work, um, heaps of work to do, heaps of opportunity. We did um pretty much everything. I helped with accreditation, education, leadership, management, um, staff development, you know, pull anything to do with nursing out of a hat pretty much. And, uh, and I turned my hand to it. And we were happy to go because um, I think that's the other, I know that's a question we'll get to in, in due course, but Amy and I, uh, my wife and I were both happy to go because um, she also uh, separately, we didn't know each other during um, university. Uh, but when she trained, she'd also done a rural practice. She went to Gundawindi. Um, and so she also was very comfortable uh, with the concept um, of going out rural. So um, it was really born of my wife's idea saying, let's raise the kids in the country. And then um, instead of, you know, 
tripping down the road from Brisbane to, um, you know, somewhere a little bit rural, uh, we hopped on a plane and, and chuffed a thousand k's out west and, uh, and had a great time every minute we were there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. How exciting. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to have a yarn with Amy, um, your wife, later on and get her, you know, get her side of the story as well. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, it, you know, that's, that's interesting that you can, you know, of all places, you decided you'd throw a dart and sort of get to the most furthest west health service in Queensland, <laughs> you know, right on the border. So, yeah, no, it's, um, it's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, it's, um, it was an interesting phenomenon. I, the ICU I was working in had more RNs on the shop floor providing direct patient care just in that one unit um, than all of Central West and the entire HHS had nurses. And I remember looking at the numbers when I got there and going, well, it can't be a zero missing, that's too many, but this is surely this is not enough nurses. But um, it's amazing how thin on the ground you're spread out there. Um, and, uh, you know, those 170 odd nurses from the AINs right up to the EDON covered about 23% um, of all the landmass of Queensland. Like that's an outrageous um, responsibility in terms of the area covered. Like, uh, you know, it, it's pretty amazing actually. Um, yeah, yeah. What, what the rural and remote nursing workforce um, provides in Australia. And I think most people just don't realize it and you know i'm really happy to talk to you because of course if we can inspire a couple more uh clinicians to go rural and give it a go and they develop a passion for it um there's so much they can give but so much they can learn it's a, it's a way street yeah yeah absolutely and that was the whole point of creating this podcast was to you know maybe spark some interest and get some people just to to dip their toes in and have a little taster and as you say you know see what you can sink your teeth into and then you end up you know eating the whole elephant <laughs> <laughs> not that there's elephants in central west but you know what i mean <laughs> oh there no there's camels though there is camels Next, next time you use that euphemism in this podcast, you should talk about eating a whole camel. I will. I will. I'll take that on board. Thank you for your feedback. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, as a nurse, you know we're bound by the Australian Nurse and Midwifery Board of Australia's policies and professional standards, which includes patient confidentiality. So just keeping that in mind, have you got a, a tale to tell or a fond memory of your time out in rural and remote areas? Oh, uh, Look, I do, um, and, and I'll come to it in a second. I, there's, there's a couple of, um, you know, humorous little anecdotes. I, if I had a dollar for every, um, for every snake bite that was uh, from a famous uh, stick snake, uh, you know, we could retire. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a few things like that. And look, um, there are a couple. There's being very mindful of confidentiality because uh, obviously I practiced pretty much in that one central location. And so I have to be very mindful about the real risk I might inadvertently give away what I'm talking about. But mm -hmm. um, without talking about the case, one of the cases that does stick with me was uh, <clears throat> a case that was particularly traumatic for my colleagues. So the situation was that um, there was an unfortunate outcome. Um, it's happened sometimes. And um, because I wasn't that long in community. Um, the person wasn't particularly well known to me, uh, but they were extraordinarily 
well known and connected through the rest of the hospitals network. Um, and I, I just recall uh, we'd debriefed, we'd been through all those obligatory things, uh, but I realised actually that one of the medical staff wasn't present and I, I later found that person um, sitting quietly in the dark in my office, just away uh, from everything else. And um, it was an interesting um, event for me, I suppose, in terms of really just demonstrated, um, you know, something that we already knew and we all do intrinsically understand, but just that uh, everyone's human. And uh, it had really, it was just um, obviously just a bit much for that particular human being that day. Um, and it, uh, you know, just really sobered them up, I think, and they needed some some, some total time out time. And um, so that was something that really sticks with me. That's not humorous in any way. That's very somber. But the story I'm going to tell, it's more lighthearted, um, actually. I'm going to talk about the fact that, um, as you would know, Danielle, because you're involved in this story, and that's why I'm sharing it with, our <laughs> co with, uh, with all your colleagues. Um, so it's not a patient, well, it is a patient story, but it's not a human patient story. So um, I should probably share the connection. So at one stage, um, Danielle and I were direct colleagues, both working in nursing education, and we were actually in a fleet car, and we were off to um, one of the other hospitals to provide uh, some training. And as luck would randomly have it, uh, Danielle spotted uh, an orphan Joey um, on the side of the road and pulled over. And um, I can't remember if it was Coles or Woolies, but it was definitely a reusable shopping bag uh, that ended up being the makeshift pouch for this Joey. <laughs> and we drove on until we got to the next town. And I, I can very much remember uh, sideways glances would be polite, but we walked into the hardware or the local produce store where based on my prior experience, um, you know, having come from a, a beef um, and orcharding farm, I expected we might find some form of uh, milk powder we could feed this poor thing. Um, yeah, we got some very strange and, and unhelpful looks when we suggested we wanted <laughs> a milk powder that was compatible with marsupials because of course at the time there was a bit of a rue plague. Um, and interestingly, it was sold in town. Can you remember where, Dan? Do you remember where we got it from in the end? Did we get it at the oh, chemist? We did. We got it from the local We pharmacy. got it up at the pharmacy, yeah. But not only did he have the powder, he had everything. He had the bottles and the teats, and he had pretty much a whole wall, like the size of a bookshelf, just for, uh, you know, marsupial orphan management, which I thought was pretty quaint. So it just goes to show you, sometimes you really can find what you need in a small country town. But um, I remember that uh, we ended up, apart from delivering all the training and doing everything we had to do, that Joey got wandered around with all day. And then eventually, having been through three towns, we ended up managing to coordinate, end up in the right town where there was a carer handed off to, which was pretty impressive. Um, and, all, and do it all without deviating from, um, from our planned drive. So that was pretty impressive as well. So um, I just remember thinking it was odd and weird and of all the things I could talk about I could talk about camping I could talk about patience um you know but but really um yeah I just I just think that really embodies the situation sometimes it's about the the, the fun things you can get up to with your colleagues as well um yeah. so yeah there's a stack of stories I could probably share but 
uh, with a view to this finishing in less than two hours, I might pull it up there. <laughs> I do remember that day very fondly as we came through town and, you know, this it, obviously the mother had been hit and this little Joey had come, fallen out of the pouch and, you know, on the brakes, away we go and we go and trying to ramble through the back of the govy car to find something to put it in and, yeah, we found this little calico bag and... Yeah, to go to all the different shots. Now, and and as you said, um, you know, there was a bit of a replague at the moment. So it was really hot and cold. Like some people were all for, you know, saving the this poor Joey's life. And then other people were just, oh, you know, it's eating the crops and I've got to feed my sheep. And, you know, it was it was a really do or die kind of situation. So you were we were a bit sketchy coming through some parts of town. But we yeah. found a we found a wildlife rescue um, carer at the service station. So as we yeah. refueled the the Govey vehicle to return there. back to town, we left the little Joey with the with the servo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. So very, um, you know, not at all a patient anecdote. So no uh, no issues with the NMBA with that little creature. But um, <laughs> know, maybe the veterinary board will come have a word with us perhaps oh maybe um no, yeah. they've got my contact details that'll be fine <laughs> so well that's a good um a good lead on to the next thing i was going to ask you about chris you know like you can buy um joey milk at the chemist but what do you miss the most when you're working in a rural and remote area not joey milk at uh, the chemist. <laughs> yeah look well god at the risk of sounding like a shopaholic, I'll say shopping, but it's not so much shopping, it's shops or range or breadth, I suppose, of things like that. It, um, and once we'd been in situ there, once we'd been living there for a bit longer and I was a bit more savvy to what was and wasn't there, uh, you could plan, you know. So if you wanted to do a project, you think of all the things you'd need and, of course, you could plan and so you could take that short Know, that, that two-second car ride up to Emerald, which was only four hours, and, and do some shopping there. Um, or we'd often um, stock up. We'd come back to, we had family in Brisbane. And so we'd come back uh, at least once a year, a couple of times a year, and there wouldn't be a square inch of the car that wasn't filled with something we needed uh, when we got back. But I, um, you know, I like to be busy with, uh, when I'm not at work, I try and be busy with something manual um, that, that can allow my brain to sort of switch off from work. And so it's handy to, you know, if you wander out in the backyard and need to make a feeder for the chooks or, you know, fix a leaking pipe or something. And so there's a range of basic supplies, obviously. Uh, but I, um, you know, would find it frustrating because, of course, if something was going to go on the mower, it'd be on a Sunday. And it's like, well, the minor 10's not open. Um, and, you know, so it's little things like that. It's stuff you really take for granted. Um, in bigger centres because, of course, you can trundle down to the local might attend at seven days or the Bunnings is open. Um, and so things like that um, are the things, you know, that I probably missed that were practical. Um, the other big one and the one that probably uh, really is was the game hitter for me, of course, is family. So you might have guessed from my surname, I've got an Italian heritage um, and we live up to the infamous reputation of having family in terms of being close and networked and before we went out west we used to go to uh, my mum 
So Nona's house every Sunday, the entire family, the entire extended family, every single one of us would be there every Sunday dinner. So it's a very big change to go from seeing every single member of your family every week without fail uh, over a big meal to seeing them one, once every six months or once every 12 months. So uh, that was a big thing. Um, you know, it's great. We've got obviously technology now is, uh, is fantastic. So you can um, video call from pretty much any device to any device, any time. Uh, for minimal cost, you know, whether it's Zoom or FaceTime. That, so those things are all good. Um, and we, you know, my mum's in her 80s and um, she is equipped with an iPhone and has a very basic uh, working knowledge of it. And we can send her photos of the kids and all those great things. I think uh, regret's a strong word, but something that weighs on my mind to this day, I was uh, relieving as the Don um, in one of the facilities at the time. And I was, uh, I was covering for a month and my dad had been deteriorating back in Brisbane and I'd been talking on the phone um, with my family who were, uh, you know, taking him for appointments and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, at that stage, it wasn't exactly clear what was going on. Anyway, it later became apparent, um, actually, that it was a, a resurgence um, of a lung cancer that had previously been resected that had metastasized. So, um, so it was terminal. And uh, I suppose at, at that stage, um, you know, I didn't feel it at the time because I didn't appreciate how unwell he was um, until, of course, I got to see him myself. And, you know, I suppose if I had a do-over on that time, I probably would have um, left and, and come home sooner. And I should point out that actually um, the senior line manager, who I reported to uh, was very amenable to letting me do that, but um, I just didn't, I hadn't picked up on just how unwell he was. So like I said, regret's a strong word, but um, you know, to look back, uh, you know, it's a pity, I suppose, that I was as far away as I was. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, up until I did see him uh, for those few days before he passed away, I probably hadn't seen him in six months. So, uh, you know, so that's something I miss family. Um, because it's important to me um, and you know so I think they're the two things so definitely family is actually the biggest item um, and so I would say to people um, plan to be more connected um, we actually chose where we settled in Central West because it had daily flights and we could get back quickly if we had to um, and so family is important keeping in touch with your mates all really important things you can absolutely do but um, I suppose, listen more carefully uh, for hints, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if they were being given and I didn't pick them up or if the info just wasn't there. But, uh, yeah, so definitely miss family. Made some yeah. awesome friends when I was out there, though. Made heaps of great friends when I was out there to hang out with uh, and spend time with and share quality time and concerns and issues and debrief with. So, um, you know, for everything we didn't have, uh, plenty of other things. Uh, stepped in to fill that void so um yeah yeah oh that's beautiful 
Yeah, and I guess, um, you know, even particularly now with, you know, with the recent COVID and lockdowns, you know, people are really starting to suffer and and feel that um, the weight and yeah. burden of being so far removed. And you're right, we do have technology and um, ways to, of getting around it. But I guess that that almost leads me on to my next um, my next question. I was going to ask, you know, it is rewarding, but also really challenging. And you've talked about some of the challenges that you faced in your time out in remote, but how do you care for yourself and your mental health while you're, while you're out in those remote areas? Uh, well, I suppose, look, the first thing is I was there with my family. I took my whole, my whole family, we picked up, moved on mass and we settled. Um, it, it wasn't in a situation in my setting where, for example, uh, you know, I was young and single and tripping around on short contracts. Um, so I suppose the first thing in my situation is obviously I had immediate family. So that was very helpful to have uh, a support network there, someone you could trust, people you could be brief with. But to, to, to give a holistic answer, uh, my two big things were probably um, A would be the ability to completely veg out and B would be the ability to be absolutely fully occupied doing something else. Um, so for me, um, the vegging out sometimes was literally just that in its in its absolute classic sense, which is to be able to turn, you know, hand off the on-call phone and just be able to come home, put the kids to bed, and then just put on some senseless whatever it is on the television and just watch it, whether you're paying attention or not, and just let it drone on. Yep. And blissfully know that it doesn't matter how trashy or pathetic or B-grade it is or how awesome it is or whether you love it, hate it, laugh or cry, the point is you don't have the on-call phone. It's not going to ring it's not you that has to go in, uh, you know, all those things. So sometimes it, a, a good little veg out's just great, just to go, ah, and have <laughs> a big... Completely yeah. switch off. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, just that, let all that tension that's been winding over the week just, you know, drift out of you. But um, the other one, of course, is, uh, you know, which is a common tactic that a lot of people use, looking for something else to occupy your mind, so to speak. Um, but... I used to particularly prefer um, to go outside and do something manual. So it was a great opportunity. I'd do things with the kids. Um, so my son particularly loves being outside, um, loves helping dad. We like doing projects. So, uh, you know, in real terms, could have gone to Mitre 10 um, or somewhere like that, bought a, a raised garden bed, bought a couple of bags of garden soil and away you go. But why do that? That only takes you know, two hours. Uh, when you could spend eight weeks scavenging pallets and building it with recycled materials and then going down to the local stables um, and manually shoveling horse poo into the trailer and, you know, the same at the other end and then composting it in the heat. And it, it absolutely could take the quick, easy way out. But it was, it's very therapeutic. You know, you're actually doing some manual labour so that, you know, ties you down. There's some, um, that's really helpful. But, you know, you're engaging with others and you're just doing things um, that bring meaning and value and outcome um, that aren't associated with work. And I think you have to have something. Um, you know, if it's hanging out with your family, if it's hanging out with your kids, um, if it's indulging in books, if it's doing online study, you need something to, that you can throw yourself into um, that will keep your mind busy. Um, and particularly if you're someone who can wallow in your thoughts, I think 
Um, and I can be sometimes. So if I'm aware that I'm reflecting on something and it's not productive to do so, like it's unproductive reflection, then um, I'll go find something to keep my mind busy. Um, <clears throat> I suppose, look, I, I had 13 years in crit care, in tertiary critical care, and the average lifespan of a tertiary ICUS is about two years max. Um, and to stay on beyond that, you have to have developed uh, a system for being able to uh, do a dump at the door. So, you know, as you swipe your card or whatever to exit the unit of a building, uh, you have to take off all the baggage. You have to take off all the sadness, all the psychological baggage and leave it at the door. Just like you do with your shoes and your better uniform and whatever, don't, don't take it into your home. You, you have to have a methodology in your own mind for how you're going to unload that. Um, and remember that you know, no matter how tragic it is, it's not your burden to bear. And uh, one of the other things, when I find my, myself being a bit self-pitied in that regard, is just to take a moment to take stock and go, hang on a minute, <laughs> stop feeling sorry for me. Yes, it's tragic, but you know, take a moment to reflect and empathise for the patient and their family. Um, and remind yourself that actually the lawnmower is broken, but you know what? I'm not the one whose partner is dying in the bed. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's really, those things really help ground you and just reset your frame of reference and go, you know what? Actually, life's not so bad today. Yeah. Um, and so I think if you can, you know, have some strategies and you need to know what that is for you. We're all different. We're all wired differently and um, so much good. Um, so many good things out there on mindfulness these days. You've just got to find the bit that works for you. And once you do, um, use it. That's, uh, that's my key. Yeah. So that's what works for me. So, so well, what, what sorts of things would you do on your days off? You talked about, you know, the, the shops mightn't be open on a Sunday for you to whip down to your local hardware for your DIY. But, um, yeah, what, what sort of things would you get up to on your days off? <laughs> Uh, apart from RSI and my elbow. Uh, <laughs> Rehydrating. Rehydrate, yeah, that's right. Fluid, fluid balance management. Um <laughs> look, uh, actually so uh, jokes aside, that's not a that's not a that's not a way to deal with problems, folks. That's uh, you know, have a couple socially with your friends, but um, that's definitely not a coping strategy, it's a social yep. thing. Yeah. Um look, um so camping so you know. Sometimes you have to get the moons and the planets to align, but going camping with good friends is really good. Um, love a good camp. You know, just leave, again, leave everything behind, have a different focus. Your day gets chewed up by what are we going to cook, and preparing it and having a chat and having a laugh and keeping your kids occupied. And um, So that was really good. So many good opportunities to camp out there. Um, plug a few, Lara Wetlands, um, there's way out west, um, big red bash. You know, so lots of things uh, going on out there. Some of the so, community uh, events and stuff. Yeah, look, um, the, so central west where it's hot, obviously. <laughs> so winter, um, the cool months. Uh, unless you want to live under a rock, you could be out in the community doing something every day, pretty much. Um, you know, the winter schedule is just back-to-back -back activity. Um, summer, you know, full of summer, 
uh, it's a little bit quieter because it's a heck of a lot hotter. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you can totally go to the community events, the races, um, uh, you know, everywhere. So there's heaps of that stuff you can do. Um, and, you know, if you've got mates to plan to go with, great. And if you don't, just go anyway and you'll find something there. Um, one of the joys of smaller centres is um, you'll find your friends everywhere you go. You can't help but bump into people you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and look, the, um, so the other thing, uh, of course, is try and have spontaneous catch-ups, just like you would in the city. Um, because we were there as a family, trying to catch up spontaneously with people. Now, obviously, it's not like you can nip down to the nightclub at 10 o'clock at night and all meet there. So um, you do have to be a bit more prepared. You have to have a, a few more staples in the fridge or the freezer or the cupboard, um, you know, but uh, impromptu barbecues, uh, which would invariably start out with a, you know, um, come over so the kids can play and, oh, look, while we're here, let's, oh, we'll put some snags on the barbie or whatever. Um, and look, some really great times were had um, doing simple things like that, right? So um, in terms of days off, you can really cheer them up pretty quick. If you've got kids, um, they hang out with other kids and made some great friends that way out there as well um, through schools and all the same sort of ways that you make them in bigger towns. So that bit's not um, so unusual. So your kids um, might do sport or those sorts of things on a weekend yeah. that, you know, you invariably run the canteen or the, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, look, ended up on... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yes, you'll get. You can either volunteer or you can be voluntold, but you'll end up on some committees if you hang around. <laughs> um, so yeah, soccer. Uh, absolute kids did soccer, ballet, um, and dance. Uh, unless I've got my facts completely wrong, I'm fairly certain that the um, the dance school that's out in Longreach is about one of the last that's um, you know not not run privately it's it's run as a community association so that's pretty rare um so there's a lot of great things out there you can keep occupied with um all the activities uh, i was very sad and just on a personal note to see that the cinema in Longreach uh finally closed their doors um yeah, for pride just this year yeah very long serving uh providers of that cinema and uh you know, I think we're heading towards retirement anyway, but COVID uh, and everything else certainly uh, drew a line in that. And that's very sad because that was a great, that was a really unique and great resource to have um, in a country town. Every country town used to have one, um, but so few and far between now. So, of course, Netflix, uh, <laughs> that's, I suppose, what that's what the young kids are doing. Um, <laughs> Uh, Are they chasing yeah, Pokemon Go? Are they still doing that? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm too old now. I'd like to think I'm young. All I do is hire young people these days. I'm <laughs> Graduate nurses, you're talking about. Let's just let's just clear that. <laughs> oh yeah, for clarity. I mean, my best Yes. Oh, thanks, Dan. That's charming. See, this is the nature of the kind of um, the, the kind of hilarity and, and the uh, and the good friendships you can make when uh, you know your colleagues can can take the Mickey out of you. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm categorically talking about through work, recruiting yep. professionals yep. Uh, yep. for nursing, not any which is nursing. Which is current at the moment. The, you know, the, the, uh, the nurses are finishing up their years and they're all seeking graduate yeah. placements. So it's a real hive of activity for, for grads at the moment. Oh, yeah. Look, um, 
Oh, it certainly is. And I know, uh, look, it's stressful. It's certainly stressful for graduates that are applying for roles, um, you know, and haven't been called up uh, for an interview yet, maybe, or who didn't do so well at interview on one of their preferences. Um, look, it's probably the flip side on that is, uh, it's probably in terms of job availability being one of the best years for grads, it's been in a long time. Um, so there is a lot of people seeking work, but there's a lot of work out there. Um, and um, yeah, look, that's something that doesn't change too much between rural and, and town, the, that uh, same phenomenon there. Yep. So um, yeah, a lot of, uh, if grads are listening um, and you're looking for something to do, go rural and remote. Find a, find a regional or a rural or a remote HHS that supports grads and go, you won't regret it. Um, yeah. It'll set you up. Yeah, yeah. So, geez, you're good at this segue stuff, Chris. I was going to say, what are your top three tips for someone who might be wanting to join the rural and remote workforce? So maybe not a grad, maybe they're new to remote, maybe, you know, they want to change a pace. What are your tips? What do you reckon? Uh, look, the first one's got to be uh, gratuitous. Uh, infringement on Nike's trademark, just do it. Um, so, you know, that, that's it. At, in an, you know, maybe you don't have to be quite so outrageous as me where my wife goes, let's raise the kids in the country. And then the next day I'm at this thing and I text her and go, how about Longreach? And then by 6 p.m. that night, we're off to Longreach. Like, <laughs> you, you know, you could probably go a little bit more baby steps than that if you need to. Take a bit of time, do some research. But look, the answer is to go. Um, you think you might be interested. Uh, look, I appreciate um, sometimes we have tap roots down where we are. Maybe you feel anchored by partner and children and other commitments and fair enough. Um, but at some point, um, you know, I appreciate that you can take your entire family, for example, um, or that your commitments change over time. And so if you think you might want to go, um, you won't know if you don't go. So just go. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, what to do before you go or could you do while you're waiting to go or those sorts of things. Um, and I think, look, a lot of other people um, you've asked about this who've given practical answers have also said um, assessment skill. And look, really, um, you know, there's a, an old ICU maxim that says more is missed by not looking than not knowing. Okay. And um, appreciate that, you know, when you are at rural and remote, even if there aren't many clinicians clearly present, um, you can get a friend on the end of a telephone or on the end of a VC unit who can provide support. Um, and of course, gee, you know what? They'll do so much better at that. if They can understand what you're looking at. And so if you've got good assessment skills, so if you can be systematic and thorough um, and you can look things and you can find things and you can describe your findings um, that makes it so much easier to get help because you can pull out that sat phone in the back of the recovery ambulance and you know, call up for some expert assistance tell them what you've got and get some really helpful support um, that's a lot more productive um, you know than standing there going I'm a patient like a good start yeah. Mm. Um, but you know, probably need a bit more than that to help you. 
get some assessment skills. Yeah, you know, I really, I really like that. I don't want to, I don't want to lose that. Um, what you said before about more is missed by not knowing, by not looking than not knowing. So, That's right. so just because you don't know doesn't mean you can't do it. Um, so long as you're, you continue to look and hunt and learn, even in as a as a practitioner, not necessarily in your clinical assessment schools, but you know that's something that you can really. I, I just want to make sure I, I capture that that you know more is missed through not looking than not knowing. Yeah, absolutely. And look, um, the easiest example of that is something like a a rash on a on a kid's chest, right? And so, if so, might not know what it is. But the point is, if you're the one that actually lifts up the shirt and goes, oh, there's a rash there, that doesn't look right. Um, you're in front of the practitioner who would know what it was, but never bothered to look every yeah. time. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just really important. And uh, look, ED skills or quick care skills. Yeah, absolutely. Would stand you in bed. But you know what? If you're working in a medical ward or a surgical ward, you can practice all of your assessment skills. Patient assessment is the same um get yourself a, an ed textbook or something like that um and you know revise what's required and then just practice one new little thing all the time and it's easy you know you'll you'll get better through practice like everything else we do in nursing yep um, so assessment skills and then the third one oh learn 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 just look for the opportunity um i would so having lived there and also then having spent a year working for a service, the whole function of which was to deliver education to remote health professionals via video conference, um, two times a day, seven days a week, ad nauseum. Um, I can tell you there's more there than you realise or know. You've just got to decide to look for it or ask around and you'll find it. So if you think you need to learn about uh, how to better support fractures because that's something you find you're not great at then just go looking uh, the resources will be there you know if it's about understanding neuro it's whatever it is whatever the gap is and if you don't know what your gap is pick something general um, but the learning's out there um, and it, it's often always been there that COVID has really made it apparent to everyone um, that for example you can meet on teams or zoom um, and that you could access training. Um, and so my, my big thing would be, uh, yeah, do some learning, whatever kind, find something, speak to some people. Um, and of course, if you've taken my tip about assessment skills, maybe you could reflect on some of the things you struggle with and you could do some learning about that. So um, I have used some of my least acute clinical skills very effectively uh, in primary care, more than the feds. Like you, you'd agree to this, um, cardi you know, the number of cardiac arrests and patients that need intubation and ventilation, very small number. Yeah. Patients that have common issues, vastly bigger number. And um, you, know, you can do 90% of your practice with only 10% of the information. So uh, yeah, they're my big things. Um, yeah. Just get out and do it. Practice your assessment skills. And if there's something you don't know and it worries you, well, just go have a ferret around for some free resources. I, I promise you, um, free or very cheap, they're out there. And then once you've got a better idea what you want, um, you know, then you can go 
um, and and throw some dollars at some good quality stuff run by agencies that are dedicated to training rural and remote practitioners and, and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, that'd yeah. be my tips. They're great tips. Thanks, Chris. That's um, that's really cool. I um, I, I like that. I, I um, I think people can get a lot out of that. Um, well, thank you for your time. I know we've chewed up a lot of your evening, but um, okay. look, I've had a great time yarning with you. We should get get together and yarn more often. I'm sure we could tell lots more tales, and half of them might be true. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, we might tell the truth next time. Yeah, we'll um, see. <laughs> there's a speck of truth in every story. Always, always. always. All right. Um, and, yeah, so tell tell Amy I'll be looking to talk to her soon as well. No worries, I've got to let her know. Thanks very much for having me, Dan, and um, it's been a pleasure having a chat with you tonight. Awesome. We'll talk to you again soon. No worries. Bye. If this has sparked your interest and you'd like some more information about this episode or perhaps how to take the leap and explore rural and remote nursing, you can contact me and check out my website, a nurseoutwear.com.au or follow me on Facebook and Instagram by searching for a nurse outwear. Remember, like, subscribe and share them with your friends. <laughs>